Gibson! What a goal! It's a stunning goal from Gibson! Well back, Gibson again! It's another beautiful strike! Even better than the first! Giggs, oh, Gabidon backpedaled! Ryan Giggs into Gibson! 2-0, what a goal! Anderson into the path of Valencia, it'll come for Gibson! And Neuer makes a mistake! Hello and welcome to another edition of the United Podcast. Woo! All three of us are here. David May, say hello. Hello. There he is. And go on. You've been missing for a while. I have. Helen Evans, back in the building. I'm back. I'm back, guys. Back in the game. And we're glad you're here. I don't like when I'm out of the loop, to be honest with you. No, we don't either. No, we don't. Little Heidi broke her finger, so I had to take her for surgery. How is she? She's good now. She had a whole plaster cast over her whole fingers. How did she do it? She went down a slide and her finger got stuck. So I had to take her for surgery, but she's now got a splint on, which is a little bit easier to live with. But yes, sorry I missed you for the last couple of months, but I'm looking forward to today. Couple of months. Did I say a couple of months? You did. (laughs) Couple of months? Couple of months. I don't know what you said. Sorry I I missed you for a couple of episodes, but I'm back and I'm looking forward to this one with Darren Gibson. Who I imagine you know quite well. Yep. So Maisie's having a bit of a yawn there. Are you all right, pal? I am. I am. When just, did you get back? Just, Maisie's uh, just been on his 50th birthday party. Yeah. Two years yeah, ago. It was, it was, um, it's been in the making for two and a half years. So, yeah. To uh, tan Francisco, because you're all uh, tanned. San Francisco, burnt, burnt San yeah, Francisco. Yeah, you clearly yeah. did not use any sun cream. No, I didn't. Why? <laughs> I you look great. Because it was overcast. Because it was playing, Oh, you can always get burnt through the clouds, know, Maisie. Yeah. Maisie yeah. is a committed red. It was a, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So it was uh, Pebble Beach, uh, Spyglass, Spanish Shells, and then we finished up in San Francisco playing the Olympic Club. Which was, was it a dream come true trip? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I got in last night uh, around six-ish and um, yeah, jet lag's just absolutely smashed me in the face. You're going to go home <laughs> and have a little nap, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. And uh, th- thankfully, my golf clubs have turned up. That's oh, good. Yeah. Good. My golf clubs never turned up, so they're back in what? there. Yeah. They never turned up when you were in America? No, they turned up in America, but when I landed in Manchester, oh. um, they ended up still being stuck in Dublin, so. We'll not say anything yeah. about the airport. But no. no. Speaking of Dublin, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Darren Gibson, back on track. Seamless. You're welcome. Tedious link, but yeah, go what? for it. Absolutely. <laughs> do you know Darren well? I do. John and Darren were in the youth team together mm-hmm. and they pretty much grew up together. They were very close growing up. So yeah, I do know Darren well. Awesome. Uh, I've worked with him once. We did a Matchday Live here from UTV. He was, I'd say he was a little bit nervous because I think it was his first one he was doing, but was excellent. It was a really good talker. So I think this is going to be great. Yep. Looking forward to hearing from him. And he's got a Premier League medal. Yep. A couple of... Uh, two League Cups. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Two ones of those. Club World Cup. Have you got one of those, Maisie? No. No, never made it. Never made it. Sorry. Sorry Injured. for bringing that up. Injured. Well, thanks. Thanks, I pals. Yeah. <laughs> You've had a good point in your foot in it. Well done. And 27 caps for the Republic of Ireland as well. Absolutely great career. And he went, obviously, from here to um, Everton and went on to have other clubs as well. Highs and lows throughout mm-hmm. his career, probably. Yeah, a few... A few Particularly bad injuries. 2013 did his cruciate and obviously broke his leg a year ago. Yeah. But as you said, he's also won Long-term those medals. injuries, which are horrible. Yeah. Difficult to deal with mentally. Yeah. One thing we can all agree on on Darren Gibson great shot. Oh, oh. range. Shoot. Every yeah. time he had the ball. <laughs> You've never done that before. 
<laughs> and I will never do that again. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, can I get that as my ringtone, please, Task? If you it was actually Helen, a really posh if, shoot, wasn't if it? If you want Helen going shoot as your ringtone, send us a message. It's uh, you know a podcast at mayunited.co.uk. That's the first time oh. the email address has ever been in the intro of the show because we've never needed to do it before. But he did have he had an absolutely amazing shot on him, didn't he? He did. Absolutely. And you could tell when it was Helen, stop trying to recover. Let's just get straight into the podcast. Yeah. It's David Gibson. Darren Gibson, welcome to the Manchester United podcast. Thank you. Good to see you. How are you? Very good. Good. What does your day consist of now? Tell us what life is like for you. Oh, at the minute, mostly school runs and gardening. That's gardening? Yeah. Love oh, a bit yeah. of gardening. <laughs> bit of weeding, bit of lawnmowing. <laughs> uh, gardening, straight in there with the technical stuff. Bit of <laughs> weeding, is that how you say it? I leave the, the weeding and all that to the, the gardeners, but yeah, I cut the that's grass. What I, that's what you yeah. just cut in the grass. How are the family? All good. Very good at the minute. Good. So tell us what you are doing at the moment. I am, well, not officially retired, but I'm retired. Okay. You just haven't told anybody yeah, else. you can. It's our exclusive. Officially announce it, yeah. <laughs> and what's led you to this moment? Uh, at Salford, I had a bad injury. I broke my leg. I uh, had a few complications along the way, and I've just never really been able to recover from it, so... It's forced me to retire. Forced to retire, so it's not necessarily something that you feel, it's probably taken you a while to feel contempt with that decision. Yeah, it's only recently. I did try to get back, but maybe six months, eight months of trying, and I just realized that my body couldn't do it anymore, so. Mm -hmm. Is it something you're comfortable with now? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I would love to still be playing, but... It's just something I've had to come to terms with over the past year or so. Have In that time, as you've come to terms with it, have you started to think about what's next? Like, obviously, you've done some, some punditry stuff here with us at MUTV and yeah. on the podcast. Or is coaching maybe something you like to do or management or something totally away from football? I'm not really sure where I'm going to go from here, to be honest with you. I could go into the coaching side. I could go into the punditry side. I'm just, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm just enjoying life with Danielle and the kids. It's funny because we spoke to Kieran Richardson not that long ago and he said he didn't miss football when he stopped playing because for so long you are in very much a routine. You're told what time to be somewhere. Yeah. You're told what time to eat. You'll know this maybe yeah. as well. Sometimes you've got to wear the same tracksuit as everybody else all the time. And it made me see things in a different light and thought he's he likened it to being in the army, which it is very similar to. Have you adjusted to life away from routine? Have you found that hard? I did at the start. So when I was coming back from the leg break, obviously I was still at Salford. When I left Salford, I was still in the gym twice a day, still training. And then I got to a point where I was still eating properly, still looking after myself properly. And I just thought, like 20 years of doing it. Mm. It's hard to stop. But once you've stopped, you'll know Maisie. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep the weight off and stuff like that. But yeah. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Maisie, how do you feel when you listen to that? Because obviously you've got to make your own decisions. It is, it is because it, Alan touched on it, it is very regimental. You know, you wake up, you know you're going training, you've got to be in training, you start training at half 10, you finish at half 12 and that's you for the day. Now it's so different because obviously you mentioned about gardening, but you can't garden and you can't weed every day. Yeah. It's it's fitting <laughs> things into your, into your life, whether it's golf, holidays, 
It is, it is, it is tough. And what you don't realise now is that you're not a footballer anymore. You're Darren Gibson, you're David May, you're going to be Johnny Evans shortly, whenever that time comes. But you're just a normal person and you're not a footballer. And it's, so for some people, it's very, very difficult to, to get over, to get used to. And I'm sure Gibbo will be the same. You know, once you come out of football, you're not that, you're not that footballer that everybody loves. You're just some Tom Dick and Harry walking down the street and it, it just becomes a normal life again. And it's difficult at times to, to get used to that. It is. If it wasn't difficult for you before, it is now. Yeah, he's just no, retired your husband. I was going to say, he's also retired Johnny. <laughs> I'm really looking forward well, to the next couple of years. Maybe it's the only time we can get Johnny on the uh, podcast is when he retires because he's so busy. No, Maisie, I think the way you've put that is so true and people probably don't think of it like that. It, it, that's the way it is. You know, you, you become the forgot, forgotten person. And, you know, from from being in the limelight all the time and playing, for, playing football, you know, you just... You're just an ex-footballer and there's, obviously there's thousands out there, but mm. it just becomes the norm of then everyday life of, right, got to go shopping, got to do this, got to do that. But you're glad you came here, Darren. No, but it's true. That, that's, that's, it's normal life getting back into it. And if you can stay in football, then obviously it's great because, you know, that's I get the buzz of doing this and then coming to the games to watch, watch United play. And, you know, I'm very lucky that way. But I suppose a lot of players who don't have the opportunity, it's, it becomes very, very difficult for him. It does. Do you like still going to matches? Have you been to Old Trafford? Yeah, for I bring example? the kids as much as I can. Uh, my little boys just started to get in there. So I try to come as much as I can with him. Mm-hmm. Does he support United as much as he's into football? Yeah, he's a United fan. Yeah. But if I'm being brutally honest with you, I took him to the uh, Champions League semi final last week and the atmosphere was unbelievable and he loved it. He was waving his, waving his flag around. I was like, you're supposed to be a United fan. <laughs> Put the flag back on again. Well, yeah, he's a United fan. Yeah, he will be made to be a United fan because yeah. you were growing up. I was a United fan always, yeah. Did that come from family or school friends? No, my dad was actually a Liverpool fan. Oh, right. Growing up, uh, I just always liked United for some reason. Mm-hmm. And what did your friends, were they mostly friends United? Friends all United fans, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I think one Arsenal fan, the rest all United fans. Yeah. Obviously, this is in this is in Derry, right? Yeah. So Northern Ireland, we, we know famously George Best, I guess, created a big United environment there. Do you think that's all part of it? Yeah, there's massive. And where I grew up, you're either United fan, Liverpool fan, the odd Arsenal fan. There is some Leeds fans. You know, I was yeah, in Belfast a couple of weeks ago, and there's a Leeds United shop. Yeah. I was like, what? I like how disgusted you are. Where, I was like, where's the Man United shop? I don't think you'd get that in Derry, like, well. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll pass. Um, did you enjoy life growing up? Did you enjoy school? No. <laughs> to be brutally honest with you. I just, just wanted to play football all the time, yeah. so I didn't really, I wasn't really that interested in school. Uh, I think at a young age, the school teacher realised I was good at football and he pulled me, my mum and dad in and I was actually in the office with him. And the head teacher said, to "My man, Alison, he's not going to need school. You need to push him on at football. So we're going to let him play two years above in the school team. We're just letting you know." And when I've heard him say that, I thought, "Buzzing, I'm not going to need no school." No way. Usually, you hear <laughs> teachers. So I wasn't interested from then on. Teachers usually say about, the opposite, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that was when I was about eight or nine. So from wow. then, I was just not interested. They had a good eye, didn't they? Yeah. Because that's what everybody else has said, the opposite. They've said the yeah. school kept saying, it's really hard to make it as a footballer. Yeah. Chances are you probably won't make it. You need an education. 
Yeah, well, I won't name the headmaster, <laughs> just in case, but <laughs> I played him. Yeah, yeah, he's got a good eye for football. Yeah. So was that the first setup you had was a school team rather yeah. than a club team? So I didn't really, well, there was a, like a little local club team, but it was only a local one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great, to be honest with you. And it was basically the school team that I played in, but outside. Right, okay, so yeah. it was basically the same mm-hmm. team. Where were you playing? What position? I'll say centre mid, but I played everywhere. I used to run around scoring five, six goals a game because mm-hmm. I was bigger than everyone. Always from about 30 yards, like you did here? Mostly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my uncle uh, was manager of Derry Reserves when I was growing up, so I was always at their training and mm-hmm. messing around with them. And when I was younger, he just said to me, listen, if you can strike the ball like that, just aim for the crossbar all the time and you'll score because the goalkeepers were small. I was like, buzzing. So where did that come so, from? Was that something you just learned yourself? Did you watch the Premier League and try to emulate someone? No, I wouldn't really say I was trying to emulate someone. I just knew I could kick the ball harder yeah. than everyone else. Yeah. When I was growing up, so I used to score four Screamers. or five goals a game just from shooting outside the box. Mm-hmm. Is that technique or muscle power or a bit of both? Or uh, I don't know. What do you recommend? It has to be power. Start with power, power surely. Yeah. Technique as well. You've got to be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, I've watched you try kicking a ball, so I mean, you're not very good. So I think if you've got good technique, it generates probably a lot more power, to yeah. be honest. Exactly, yeah. Timing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's... That timing. So. Yeah, especially when the ball's on the run, I suppose. So it's fair to say you were the best in the skill team, even a couple of years above. When did the moment come that you kind of joined a more serious setup? That would have been... That been a skill of excellence you would have went to? Yeah, so a team called Institute FC had like an academy. Yeah. About 11 or 12, mm-hmm. I joined there and they had like proper coaching, proper coaches. Yeah, so it would have been around 11 or 12 I got involved properly. And you just did you just play there until Man United School of Excellence came for you? No. Oh. So I didn't go to the Man United School of Excellence oh, right, properly. Okay. When I joined there, Institute, uh, teams from England started scouting me and bringing me across. So from the age of 12, I was going across the, the likes of Sunderland, Leeds, Leicester, nearly every weekend. Mm-hmm. So I'd fly over on a Friday night, train or play on Saturday, do it again on Sunday, fly home Sunday night. Did you go with anyone or did you go on your own? I was going on my own. My mum and dad would take me to the airport, did a check and I'd go through myself. No way. And then get picked up on the other side. Did you ever find that difficult? Or I suppose That's the first so few young, times I did, it? but... You just get used to it. When you're young, mm. you just, it's just like, go ahead. As long as I was getting picked up at either side, I wasn't really bothered. It's so funny to think now, though, if you just yeah, think you about Evie, like now, just no, taking her Jesus. to the airport, okay, bye. She wouldn't know what it's she was so doing. It's so different back then, isn't it? Yeah. You're so much more streetwise back then. Children are different yeah. now, aren't Who do we have on a few weeks ago? Well, a few months ago, was it Patrice? He got left at the train station, didn't he? Yeah. But he was a little bit older than 11, was he not? Oh, no, he was. He was actually quite young, Patrice, whenever he went. Scary. Did you have a team that you preferred playing for during that period when you were coming over? A team that I enjoyed going to? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Not not preferably. I, was a, so I enjoyed it, going over to them all. Yeah. Enjoyed the experience of going every week and, and doing it. When it actually came down to signing for someone, though, when I was 15, I was at the point where, like, my mum and dad were getting phone calls every week off clubs, agents and that. And they were sending me, oh, you need to make a decision. And I was like, I don't really know who to, who to pick or yeah. what to do. And then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, United phoned. And I was like, 
I don't really know if I can be bothered going over, to be honest with you. And then they phoned again and said, look, we don't want you to come over as a trial. We want you to come. We want to sign you. So just come over and have a look and see what you think. And I thought, all right, fair enough. Uh, it was around me, f- maybe my 15th birthday. Came over. They took me in the training ground. Sir Alex showed me around everywhere. Uh, all the first team players were there. And I was like, wow. Signed for them the week after. And that was it. That was it. Yeah. Make it sound so easy. Yeah. Maisie was probably there. I would have been, yeah. Did you probably expect, would have been. Did you expect to see Sir Alex? I don't know what I was expecting, to be honest with you. I just thought, we'll go over. They brought my mum and dad over. They brought my best mate over as well. And I, obviously I couldn't say no. Who had been scouting you at this point, it though? It was Eddie Colton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you know that they were interested? Because obviously you got the phone call. Did that just come out of the blue? It sort of just came out of the blue, yeah. Uh, we used to fly from Belfast to the airport. I used to see Johnny. Because mm-hmm. Johnny used to come over here, didn't mm-hmm. they, at weekends as well? Yeah. So... I would see Johnny and I would see Eddie in the airports, but it just came out of the blue, really. That must have been difficult because I suppose if, if you'd been, say, going to Leicester and Sunderland for like four years or three years, you would have known a lot of people there. You'd have felt very comfortable there to then get Man United come out of nowhere and go, do you want to come here? It's obviously very difficult to turn down, but I suppose when you've been going to the same place over and over, you feel much more comfortable. Yeah, uh, I was comfortable going over to the other teams. Leicester, Leeds, Sunderland, I went a lot. I nearly signed for... Sunderland a few years before but they got relegated and then the same thing happened with Leeds because the institute the team I was playing for had a sort of connection with Leeds they were pushing for me to sign for them they must have been getting some compensation or something afterwards but uh, they got relegated so I I said nah and then the the Man United thing just happened Did Were you aware that there was a lot of talk about you in the community, in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, people saying, oh, this is going to be the next big player. Were you aware of that? And did your parents kind of shield you from that? Or how did that feel? Uh, I, I knew I was probably better than most yeah. of the players I was playing with at the time. And I knew I was always going to be a footballer, obviously from the age of 12, coming over to England every week. But no, I wasn't really aware of that much hype or yeah. anything going on, to be totally honest with you. I just... I used to just play football and get on with. Mm-hmm. So at 15, you move over to Manchester. Yeah. You move in with your uncle. So yeah. then you're in the area. At what point do you then become, I don't know, a formal part of the academy? Uh, it was when, I must have been 16. As soon as I turned 16, I was training. I think we trained twice a week uh, and then played on a Saturday. And then obviously the year after we come in full time. And that was, that was it really. So you did two school years here or one? No, so I did one normal school year yeah and then we would have moved into like the two days a week right yeah so you went to school and then went to training yeah Yeah. did you find much difference with with the level of football from From Northern Ireland coming to United massive difference massive difference and then did you think you were good enough or did you think well I struggled yeah for the first couple of years if I'm being honest uh, you could tell the lads that were here already had a lot more coaching yeah than we did back home Obviously, we got coached back home, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as, as good. The facilities weren't as good back there. So they had a, they were a in good the, head they were in squad then. Our youth team, uh, there was obviously me and Johnny, uh, Fraser Campbell, Jamie Mullen, Danny Rose, Lee Crockett was the goalkeeper, Mike Lee. Uh, yeah, but you could just tell the standard the was a lot better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Johnny and I went to the hospital in Withenshaw last week because Heidi broke her finger and in the waiting area 
Jamie Mullen was there. How was he? And I've, Johnny seen was like, I've played with him in the yeah. youth team and he just broke his leg or ankle. But he's still playing for someone. But he hadn't seen is him he? for like, what, 20 years? It's so somewhere weird that the, you just said his name the there. the Welsh division, is it? Yes, somewhere yeah. in the Welsh division. Do you all stay in touch with each other? From, or is there a group of you that are still in touch? Because as you say, some people would have made would have made different careers for themselves. Uh, no, to be honest with you, I'm not, I don't keep in touch with any of them, really. Johnny, when I see him. Uh, but no one else from the youth team, really. There was only a couple of you, I suppose, went on to have Premier League careers as well, yeah. wasn't there? I think there was... Fraser... Fraser, Johnny, Ryan, yeah. Sean yeah. Cross, uh, Dave Gray to a certain extent. Yeah. I don't think there was many more. Mm-hmm. Who was your coach when you were in your first year here then, as an apprentice? Would have been Paul McGuinness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paul was very good for us, to be honest with you. He got, uh, he made us learn like the history of the club and stuff like that, as well as coaching us and obviously getting us to learn the game. But he was, he was a very good coach, yeah. At some point... Did anybody more senior, people like Sir Alex, start taking more notice and maybe start bringing you to first team training sessions or introducing you to first team players to try to make that pathway more obvious to you? There wasn't really a, a standout moment I can remember, mm-hmm. no, to be totally honest. Uh, we'd obviously still see the, the first team training and stuff, but the, the pitches were separated. It was only when we were sort of in the reserves we were a bit closer to the first team. Uh, the odd player would get brought over to join in training. Uh, and the odd time, a few of the lads would come over and watch our training. So there wasn't really a moment where I would say we got shown the path, if you if you know what I mean. But What was it like in those moments, Maisie, when the younger players come over to join you for training? Yeah, it's Do you great. give them a hard time, a few hard tackles? No, not so much hard tackle. Well, no, you just... I mean, listen, these... A few hard passes, I mean. The, the, lads, are, the lads are tough themselves, you know, yeah. under... Well, certainly under Eric Harris and then Paul McGuinness to get taught the right way. So there's no real difference. I think Gibble will probably tell you that going up from the reserves to the first team, it's just so much quicker. And you've got to think so much quicker. You, you have no... You have very little time. But um, no, when the young kids come over, it's great because you just want to see progression. You want to see... Mm-hmm. Um, see those young lads come into the first team and, and progress. It's um, it's something that becomes natural um, to the young kids, and if if they're good enough, then they, they stay in the squad. So no, it's, it's brilliant when they come over. It really is. So when um, you went, you were in the youth team, went to the reserves, then you made the move to Antwerp. That was your first move away. Is that yeah. right? Did you enjoy that? I really enjoyed the experience, but again, if I'm being brutally honest, I didn't want to go. Hmm. I remember having or sitting down and having a conversation with Brian McClare and Jim Ryan and saying, I don't want to go. For what reason? I'm not, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. I just remember having the conversation saying, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And they were like, listen, you're going with another few lads. You'll enjoy it and it'll be good for you. And eventually I came around to the idea. But when I moved from Derry to Manchester, I didn't get homesick or anything. But I just didn't fancy being over there for some reason again. yeah yeah just but completely alien i really enjoyed you. it when i got there it was mm-hmm. a good experience uh and you were all playing in proper league men's matches football. men's football yeah, yeah we had to grow up quite quickly when we got there it was it was funny because obviously we're still getting paid from man united but for the first couple of weeks we we're there grown men are coming in saying we're not getting paid what's going on and we had to quickly adapt they if we're not winning yeah, yeah, yeah. some of these men aren't getting paid their wages mm-hmm. so we need to perform 
Yeah. And there's like five of us in the team every week. Yeah. And whether we're playing well or not well, we're still getting picked. So we had to grow up quite quickly. And some of them are quite harsh on you. I think as well because you're coming in taking their spots and they think who do these young United players think they are coming over yeah here? it was a case that there was some not hostility but there was a few lads that had that mentality mm-hmm. that basically they're here they take our places yeah but that move was was good for us because we were playing in front of fans every week in big games uh, on a few occasions coming from away grounds we've lost got back at the, to the stadium and the fans are waiting for us outside the bus looking to fight us honestly because <laughs> we're losing and not playing well so it made us grow up and it did make us become ready to, to try and push for first team squad places Did you find that step up from reserves going into first team that difficult or did you find Antwerp pretty easy? Uh, the step to Antwerp was it was easy enough to be honest with you yeah. the standards, don't get me wrong the standard was decent mm-hmm. And I think it helped because there was a few of us in the team. Yeah. But then the step up from there into the first team squad was different. Yeah, yeah. So why didn't you want to go? We haven't talked about it yet, but obviously you played a couple of minutes for the first team in the League Cup. Was it you thought if you go away, you don't come back? Or I guess you wanted to be in the first team more? Uh, It was probably that. So making my debut and then obviously being involved in the squad, I was probably thinking in my head, I don't really want to leave here now and go somewhere else for a year mm. when I've already had a little taste of it. I want more of that mm. rather than going somewhere else. Who else had played? So Danny Simpson had played his debut for the yeah, club. I think there might've been a few. Uh, yeah, there was a few of you had Fraser already fe- featured, yeah. made his debut. Uh, and I think at the point as well, I think I might've been injured when they first went over. So there was Johnny, Danny Simpson and Fraser went first and I was the last one to go. And yeah, I think that might have been the reason I didn't really want to go, to be honest with you, but I enjoyed it when I was there. Can you remember much about your debut? I just remember standing there when he's called me. Uh, was, you, was, was your mum and dad over? No. No. So I was fine until I got to the, the touchline and the board went up. And I looked up and I just thought, wow, this is massive. And... That was it. But once once I was on the pitch, I was fine. But I do remember just standing looking, thinking, it's massive in here. <laughs> well, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was an unbelievable feeling. Like my debut, obviously growing up being yeah. a United fan. was dream yeah. come true, really. That was really. the 26th of October, 2005, against Barnet. Yeah, after my birthday. After your birthday? The day after. Yeah. Oh, the day after your birthday. Yeah. And how come your parents and family weren't over? Did you not know until last minute you were going to... I must not have known, no. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I'd known I was starting, they probably would have came over. Yeah. But We've sort of touched on this, but did you feel, not pressure, but did you feel like people were aware of you or talking about you? Because probably more so than any other club on the planet, this club is known for its academy and for seeing those players come from the academy and make it into the first team. And you've come from Northern Ireland and obviously we've talked about George Best being from Northern Ireland and you won the Jimmy Murphy Young Player of the Year Award your reserve team was incredibly successful. So I guess you were the standout player in that group at that time and people would have been thinking, this is someone to watch. I imagine fans would have been really excited to see you on the touchline as much as you were looking up at the size of the place. Uh, I presume so. I d- again, I don't, I don't think I really took anything in about the hype and all that. I was just concentrating on my football, to be honest with you. So I don't know if there was 
a lot of speculation or hype or anything, but again, it was just, it was unbelievable making my debut. Did you have a mentor, like an agent or was that, would have been your dad? Who did you confide in through your younger years and when you get into the first team in football wise? I had an agent from the age of 15, Paul Martin he's called, he's been, he was great for me. Mm-hmm. And he's been, I've been with the same agent since yeah. I started basically. Uh, so he would have been the one I went to. Yeah. If I needed anything or needed mm-hmm. any advice or anything like mm-hmm. that. So, and then in that summer, you go on the pre-season tour. What was that like? Yeah, I think we went to South Africa on that one. Uh, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable experience just to go to that country. The things we've seen, the people we met, obviously Nelson Mandela was unbelievable. But yeah, uh, it was a great experience. I remember it was obviously pre-season. Dave Gray had just bought his first house and I was living with him. Mm-hmm. But I just remember we're in the living room and I get a phone call saying, uh, are you ready to go? I was like, go where? And we're like, you're going in the morning with the first team. I was like, Jesus. I was like, I've got no stuff though. I've got no, no clothes way. or anything. They were like, oh, don't worry. It's all packed. Just get yourself ready. You're Who going. Who phoned you? Uh, I can't remember. Would it have been like Dave or wasn't Sir Alex anyway? No, it wasn't a gaffer. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So you literally got told the night before? Yeah. No way. That's mental, isn't it? Yeah. You're going away for, what, three weeks? Yeah. That's but, it. But, Did David Gray go too? No. Oh so, oh, so it's just you? Yeah. We often hear from people that going on those tours, and this is often people from outside the area, they hear, they they've, they fully realise the size of Manchester United because of the number of fans that turn up. Obviously, you've been in Manchester for years at this point, but did it have that kind of effect on you? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Like the amount of people outside the hotels waiting for us and stuff like that. I remember getting a bit of a actually off the gaffer. It was obviously being a young lad, we're walking off the coach and everyone's screaming for autographs. And I was like, they don't want my autograph. So mm-hmm. I used to just keep sneaking off in behind. And there was a few of us doing it. And we got on the coach one day for training and the gaffer was like, get back off and sign all the autographs. He was like, I don't want anyone not signing anything. I was like, Jesus. Yeah, but you were doing it because you think, oh, yeah, I'm maybe not that, worthy yeah. enough. I was doing it, it. I'm thinking, yeah. I can't be arsed. I was doing it thinking, yeah. Yeah. they don't want my autograph. Even though you'd been well, practicing that for years. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, like, it was a massive eye-opener when you're going away and seeing like five, 600 people standing outside the hotel all day just to get an autograph. Unbelievable. Mm. Did you play much... On that tour? Here and there. I think the gaffer tried to give everyone the same amount of minutes. He mm-hmm. obviously given the, the first team's proper squad mm-hmm. more minutes, but he, he did give the young lads that went enough minutes, yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel looking back when you think about coming through the academy? Do you think it's more difficult for a player coming through the academy with the pressure on them at a club like this? When you compare it maybe to a player who's been through an academy at a smaller team and then they come into the club? I think it might be different now, but back when I was coming through, it was a regular thing here. Yeah. At United, there was lads coming through every year, whether they've made it or not here was a different story. But I think being coming through as one of the better players, you always had an idea or I suppose a hope that you would end up getting a chance. Uh, but nowadays, I think it might be might be quite different. Mm. There might be a lot more pressure on younger mm-hmm. players. Do you look back at your time in the academy and really appreciate the upbringing that you got here at the academy? Yeah. You don't 
players don't realise how lucky they are to be in the situation they are here mm-hmm. at the academy, the, like the facilities they've got, the coaching, the accessibility, everything football-wise, is it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you realise that until you leave here. Yeah. Which is a shame because I think some lads have come the whole way through the academy to get the 18, get mm-hmm. released. And they have to go to like a, a League One or League Two team. And it's a massive shock. Yeah. So you did the tour, then you went to Antwerp and then you went to Wolves. Yeah. What was that like for you? Did you prefer being back in England? Uh, yeah, I obviously preferred being in England, but how can I explain it? When I first went to Antwerp, I didn't, I didn't want to go at the start, but once I was there, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, being back home, obviously I was with Danielle at that point and it was easier life-wise to be in England. At Wolves, I was travelling up and down every day. We uh Mickey Gray, yeah. just lived around the corner from me in mm-hmm. Worsley. So I used to just jump in with him. We used to drive yeah. up and down every day. Uh, Mick McCarthy was the manager. So it was good, very good for me going to Wolves. And I've had to grow up again there. Like I was 18, I'd made my debut. Not thinking I was big time, but we're down there and the lads were like, like, why are you not in the gym and stuff like that? I was like, I don't need to go in the gym. I just do it all out there on the pitch. And the, I was like, why, why are you in the gym all the time? And they were like, we're, one of them said to me, I think it might've been Neil Collins, Scottish lad. Right. He said to me, we're in the, doing this every day to try and get to where you are, try and get to somewhere like you are. And I, I was like, oh, right, fair enough. Maybe I should do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, and yeah, did- Wolf was good. I enjoyed it. Did that change your gym habits? Yeah, changed. Well, when I left, it did. It was just one of them. I wasn't really that fussed about going in the gym and I was always fit. And I wouldn't say I was a weak lad, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. So at that point, I just wasn't really interested in going in the gym. I didn't need to. But when I came back, the offer did pull me and he, he asked me, so how did you find it? And I was like, yeah, it was really good. Uh, and he said, I spoke to Mick last week. He said he loved you, but you don't go in the gym enough. No way, he actually said like, that. Yeah. <laughs> so from then on, yeah. that was me in the gym. Every day. Yeah. Did, did, no one gave you like, um, so like, because you'd think maybe, this is just me from the outside, that if that was Mick's expectation, that he would then say to you, Dan, I want you in the gym, I want you working on X, Y, Z. No, we just left it up to Sir Alex to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Which is definitely the I hard think, way. I think maybe he thought... <laughs> He might listen more of Straw tells yeah. him or tells yeah. him, so let it come from him. But yeah, it's just one of them things. So you had a couple of loan experiences under your belt. You came back here. Did you have a conversation with Sir Alex or any of the other management staff about what the next step was for you? Not really, no. I just remember coming back. I can't remember what year it was. Uh, so it would, would have been, been 2008. 2008. Yeah. 2008. Yeah, I just remember coming back and we were obviously the age where we were in the reserves and started pre-season well and then I just got moved up into the first team squad and then I was like right this is it yeah work starts now basically that was it I didn't really have a a conversation with anyone to say right it's just like right you're in those boxes now yeah that's what it's like it's just like give all your wheels this morning and at this point 2008 are you now a full international did you start playing in 2007 I don't know (laughs) 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 <laughs> I've got no idea. Got a good memory. I might be wrong, but I think Tasco will find out. I think you did. So you played with the Northern Ireland setup until what age? Until I was fifteen. 
15. Yeah. So when you were over here at United, you were playing with Republic of Ireland from that point? Is that yeah. right then? So got the a point where I was playing for Northern Ireland. We played against Republic of Ireland, beat them 2-0. I scored both goals. And then they've approached my uncle and said, I'm sure because he's from Derry, he can play for Republic as well. Is that something he'd want to do? And my uncle said to me after the game, he was like, they've, they've just asked, like, would you like to play for them? And I was like, can I do that? And he was like, yeah, you can choose which side you want to play for. And I grew up supporting Republic of Ireland, mm-hmm. obviously the Catholic Protestant thing, it had nothing to do with that. Just I grew up supporting to, yeah. Republic of Ireland. It's the same as everyone else where I lived. Mm-hmm. So I thought, yeah, why not? If they want me to go down and play for them, then I might as well. And that was it from that moment? Yeah, I'd just, just always played for them. Did it, did it feel like a big thing? Because it ended up in the Northern Ireland Assembly, didn't it? That decision yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it went the... And then they the it went to yeah. FIFA and... There was quite a big deal about it, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was only 15, so I, I didn't really understand mm-hmm. that side of it. And it had nothing to do with religion or anything mm-hmm. like, like that. It was just, I supported them growing up, so I wanted to play for them. Mm. Did you feel maybe that it was, because I guess you knew that these conversations were being had somewhere. Did you feel like someone could just ask you and go, well, is it just because you like them? And you could have gone, yes, and that should have been it. Because ultimately you're a 15 year old and that feels like quite a lot happening above you for something that should be and was your decision. Yeah, but I don't think it was anything to do with religion from the Northern Ireland point of view Mm -hmm. either. I think it was just the fact that I was at my United Mm -hmm. and I'd switched over. And they're thinking, well, if there's more players come through and they've got the choice and they don't pick us, then we're losing out on players mm. where they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just one of them things. Did you and Johnny play for Northern Ireland together then? Uh, we could have maybe played mm. a few games in the under-15s. Mm. Well, I can confirm that in 2007, you made your international debut. Yeah. So in 2008, when you're now training with the first team, you're a full international, training with Manchester United's first team. That must have been pretty special. Looking back now, yeah. Uh, I think when when I was going through it, you don't really think about it at the time. You just, you're just doing it. But yeah, I was, obviously I was buzzing just to be in the squad, in, in the Man United squad. When you made that move to the first team and you're now regularly training with the team and in match day squads, did you feel part of the group or were you like in training sessions trying to make sure you were, obviously we're trying to make sure you're at best, but trying to almost prove that this is where you should be now. Yeah, I felt felt like you you always had to try and prove yourself. It's tough coming into the squad, especially the squad I came in. There were some unbelievable players in there. And at times you're probably thinking, I'm never going to get get through here or get a chance. But you obviously don't give up. You have to try and prove yourself every day in training, try and do as much as you can just to get a chance. And then if you do get a chance, then you have to try and take it. It would have been Rio and Vidic and Carrick and Skulls, maybe yeah. Hargreaves at this point. Hargreaves was there as well, yeah. Yeah, Ronaldo, uh, Rooney, Tevez. Just a phenomenal. Just a Anderson, yeah. yeah. It was, <laughs> honestly, it? yeah. It's phenomenal. It was team a good squad, honestly. Yeah. But I, I wasn't the only one in that position. There was me, Johnny, mm-hmm. obviously Simo, mm. all in a similar position. So I think it was good for us as a young lads coming into the squad that we had more young lads there yeah, yeah. experiencing yeah. the same thing. Yeah, sort of helps you, of you settle in a bit more. But the, the first team lads were unbelievable as well. Do you know what I mean? Like if you don't get brought in unless you're ready to get brought in, basically. And obviously you had Shazy, any other Irish internationals at that time? It always helps to have someone who... Yeah, I think, I think Shazy was the only Shazy. one, yeah. yeah. 
So yeah. you had that as well, someone to bring you into the changing room, put a bit of an arm around you. Yeah, Shazie was good for us, to be fair. But uh, like I said, everyone was. There was no one really yeah. that was bad for us, if you know what yeah. I mean. There was, we still got bad here and there for not doing what we should have done. But <laughs> Maisie knows. It's just, it it's is what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In November, you made your Premier League debut. Do you remember that? Premier League debut against? Stoke. 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 Uh, this must be a centre midfield thing because Paul Scholes didn't remember any dates either. <laughs> Do you remember? We kept yeah, asking him. He's like, terrible. I was thinking don't I was... know who played in that game. I always think it's one of those things because I, I like... I remember so much of it from watching and then also, you know, we do some prep and read before we sit down with you. And I think it means, it, it almost, it doesn't mean more to me, obviously, because it's your life, but of course it was your life. So you're just getting on with it. So why would you remember everything in fine detail? Because you were just yeah. getting on with it. Did I come on as, as, came on as a sub? Yeah. Did me and Danny Welbeck come on at the same time? Was it what, when Danny if scored that? Remember. Yeah, that would have been yeah, Danny's could, debut. Yeah, because so he scored he, that unbelievable yeah, goal. So I, I do remember actually. So yeah. I remember again, coming up to the touchline and Mick Phelan said, just put, I think he tapped us both on the shoulder and said, this is just a start for you lads, go and enjoy yourselves. Aww. Cool. Brilliant. And then, and then I suppose as the season went on, you got more and more minutes, you played more games, you got your first goal against Southampton in the FA Cup. Yeah. Was that, I have a feeling I remember it, you were about 10 yards out, you took a touch and then sort of volleyed it in? Yeah, I think uh, it might have been Waza, put it across the box. Yeah, had a, had a touch, popped up lovely and just smashed it in. When did the point come when the whole crowd started shouting shoot? Was that after a few appearances? Yeah, I think, I can't remember what game it was, but so Bobby used to come into the, the dressing room after the games. And I don't know if it was after a game or at the training ground. I just remember him saying to me, listen, son, they don't remember the ones you miss. Just keep shooting. And it sort of stuck with me. So I was just thinking from then, I'm just shooting from everywhere. <laughs> Every time I get a chance, I'm shooting. Uh, but... It worked. A few of them flew in for me. Yeah. Did any of your teammates or the manager ever question that philosophy? Uh, oh, I don't, so, I don't know. Sir Bobby Charlton's telling you, you just yeah. don't worry about anybody else. I don't think anyone else heard what he said, <laughs> to be honest with you. But there was a few times, uh, I think it might have been after a West Ham game, West Ham away when I scored again. I had about 10 shots in the game and uh, got on the bus afterwards and Giggs, he was like, here he is, Darren Lampard. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a bit of stick from the lads. But don't matter, does it? Yeah. Don't matter. I mean, there's so many that you just smashed from range, just flew in. Yeah, it was part of my, obviously, I, I said before, I just used to get told to shoot from, yeah. just aim for the crossbar. It had stuck with me throughout my career. Well, the start of my career, not so much towards the end. What did it feel like when you scored that first goal? Uh, it was a bit of relief, to be honest with you. It was an unbelievable feeling, but it was a bit of relief because... It was something I'd come through the academy in that yeah. doing. So to get the first one, it was unbelievable, but it was a bit of relief as well. Did you have a favourite goal in all of your time here? Yeah, it's probably not the best goal, but my favourite one was uh, the Bayern Munich one. Obviously, I think I hit the shot early and he didn't move the goalkeeper. Uh, but running down that side of the pitch and the fans... I can remember clearly. It was unbelievable. That I remember was the second leg of yeah. the quarterfinals. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that was the best one. Just the, the whole experience. Although we went, we got put out after it. But for me personally, I think that was my best goal. Mm -hmm. The semi-final goal, which yeah. is, I mean, you were talking about taking your son to a Champions League semi-final. I suppose, have you told him yet that you've scored him one of those? No. <laughs> he He's seven. He doesn't really understand. He knows 
obviously I used to play football and stuff, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, no. he doesn't understand. So I'll leave it. We've got pictures and that up mm-hmm. in, uh, in one of the rooms in the house. So yeah, but it was an unbelievable feeling that night. Uh, obviously disappointed to get put out, but starting in the Champions League at scoring, mm-hmm. the, the goal was unbelievable. Did you enjoy those Champions League nights? Were those part of the highlights of your career yeah. here? In them days, that era, the Champions League or League nights here were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere used to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fans, I just it was just unbelievable. Like the feeling when I scored that goal and running into the crowd was like dream come true. It was special. Do you ever watch any of the games back? My games? No. Not really, to be honest with you. I've seen, I see clips of obviously the goals yeah. and stuff, but I've never watched any particular games back. Not mm-hmm. yet. The, obviously we, very clearly your favourite is the quarterfinal that we went out of. Yeah. But in the semi-final, you scored, we make it through to the Champions League final. Did you expect to be on the bench for that game? Expect? Uh, no, I, I don't think I did. I was hoping I would have been mm-hmm. on the bench, but... We had a, obviously an unbelievable squad at the time. Yeah. So looking back now, I probably shouldn't have been on the bench. But obviously scoring the, the semis and getting to the final, it was disappointing not to be on the bench. At that time, all the headlines were, of course, that Dimitar Berbatov didn't make yeah. the bench. But it wasn't like John O'Shea didn't make the bench. Johnny Evans didn't make the bench. You didn't make the bench. There's, there's a lot of you that didn't. How did you find out? I think we would have just found out when the gaffer named the squad basically so you weren't called into a room or something had listened no. it's not going to be your day normally if you weren't involved the manager would pull you and tell you why but I think we knew the players that got left out I think we knew mm-hmm. it wasn't it was disappointing personally but yeah. I don't think there's anything we could have complained about what was it like being at the club and heading to a Champions League final yeah it was it was special uh, especially being at Wembley as well up against Barcelona, it was it was special. The atmosphere was unbelievable. Uh, it was just so nice, to, Messi, be, nice to be a part of. Yeah, he was unbelievable as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've just been Googling. I was trying to find the the final team sheet so we could find out who the who the subs were. The only one I remember for sure is obviously Michael Owen made it and Berbatov didn't, just so we could compare. I'll have you. So I've just searched. I didn't do a very good job. So Tasca's just passed me his laptop. So the substitutes that did make it, I wonder, Helen Maisie of your thoughts as well. So it was Cusack, Chris Smalling, Anderson, Darren Fletcher, Paul Scholes, Nanny, and Mike Lowen. So there's just three central midfielders on the bench there. Yeah, it was again, it was no surprise to me that I was left out, but I was disappointed, obviously. And then, I mean, the game didn't go away either. Yeah, again, unfortunately, but that Barcelona team was a special team. Mm-hmm. They were very good. Did you think at this period that you would be at Manchester United for a long time? Did you see it coming that other clubs might come in for you? At that stage of my career, obviously I wasn't playing that much, but I still wasn't really thinking about leaving. Mm-hmm. So the answer would probably be no. I, was, I wasn't thinking about leaving. So obviously I, would, I was expecting to stay for another few years. Uh, Is it true that uh, Giovanni Trapattoni said that you needed to leave United around, this was around that season to advance your international career? Yeah, I think there was maybe Stoke mentioned. But as a club to go to? When he said it, yeah, he he said something like he needs to go somewhere like Stoke. But I think it was a bit of a language Hmm. barrier breakdown thing. I think what he was meaning to say is he needs to play more football. Did you feel like that though? In a way I did, but 
my argument against it was, and I don't mean this, any disrespect when I say this to anyone else, but the lads that were playing every week in the international team are still not playing with as much quality. Yeah. The lads I'm training yeah. with here. Yeah, yeah. So my argument back then was, listen, I'm still fit. You can see I'm fit. I might not be playing as much as mm-hmm. you would like or to get into your team, but yeah. you can see I'm fit and you're, I'm playing with more quality. Playing with, yeah. But uh, yeah, I can see I can see his reasoning. He wanted me to play more game time or get more game time so I could get into his squad or get into his team properly, which would be better for him. So I've got no bones to pick over mm-hmm. what, what was said. So when was the moment you kind of heard whispers about Sunderland being interested in you? I think my agent might have phoned me and said it. And I've, I just said no straight away. I said, no, I don't want to leave. And that was the end of it. Mm. There wasn't really much more said. Mm. But then obviously at that point then I was probably thinking, oh, maybe I should start thinking about leaving. Did you have any conversation with the gaffer at this time? <coughs> saying no. That, saying that you wanted more time or did you go knocking on his door? No, I never really knocked on the manager's door, no. to be honest with you. Uh, I think, what year did we win the league? Was it 2010-11? Won the league then. Uh, and the, the gaffer pulled me after that and said, uh, I think it might be time for you to like, have a look somewhere else. Yeah. And I was like, mm, all right, fair enough. And uh, I, d- I didn't for the first six months, I don't think. And then... I was thinking I'm not playing at all here, so I, I obviously need to, to go somewhere else. Uh, was that tough to wear from the gaffer? Yeah, it was. Mm. But then again, I, I sh- looking back now, I should have expected it because I, I wasn't really yeah, being well. used or being involved. Uh, it was tough to hear, but... Especially after winning a league as well. Yeah. Because you're on like a high. Such a high. Yeah, yeah, but it's just one of them things that happens in football. I understand that now. Uh, and yeah, when, when Everton came in, my agent rang Sorry, me. Sorry, I said Sunderland earlier. No, Sorry. Sunderland did come in first, I Oh, think. yeah, they come in first, yeah. And I said no, and then I think it was in the January. Sunderland have been trying to get you for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they were persistent. And it didn't work out very well when I did go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when Everton came in, I was going out to training, and the, the gaffers pulled me and said, listen, Everton have come in. Uh, what do you think? So I rang my agent. He said, yeah, they've come in. This is the terms, blah, blah, blah. So I took my boots off and got in the car and just went down, drove down there and signed for them. Is it weird? Because I've heard people tell that like a similar story quite a few times where you've had a conversation with Sir Alex, you sort of come to the idea that actually he is willing to let you go if there's somewhere you want to go. And then is it weird though when, I don't know, a few days later, he's then giving you a shout and going, Everton, about if you want to go there. Does that feel strange? Because I suppose you... You spent years hoping that this person is going to believe in you massively and maybe even after that conversation might have changed his mind, but now he's almost actively helping you leave. Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of them things, like it just happened. It just happened. And it was not, it happened that quick. I was just like, all right, here we go. It's a mm. new challenge. I'm ready to play football. Mm-hmm. I want to play more football, so... You can live where you're still living, which yeah, is a big thing when move. your family are there, yeah. So I just thought I may as well go for it. When you when you look at that now, are you still glad you made that decision? Uh, no, yeah. It was the, looking back, if Everton had came in earlier, mm-hmm. I probably would have went then. But yeah, I think it was the right time to leave. And did you enjoy being at Everton? Because David Moyes, of course, Everton, and yeah. Phil Neville had gone there and Tim Howard had gone there. Don't get me wrong, I didn't want to leave here. But I think the time, the, the timing was right, uh, and the club that came in for me was right as well. And obviously, like you mentioned, Tim Hard, Phil Neville, 
whatever. Uh, yeah, I love being at Everton. It's a great club. Obviously, still follow them now, but they're they're not in a great mm. position at the minute, are they, Nick? But mm. it'd be a massive shame if they went down. But yeah, I had some, I think it was five and a half years there. Really enjoyed it. You say you loved being at Everton. When you look back at your time at United, can you say I loved being here too? Yeah. This is, it's going to sound a bit cheesy. It's a special club. I like a bit of cheese. It is a special club. Uh, Everything involved with the club's just different level than anywhere else. So yeah, I I loved playing Mm -hmm. for my United. Mm -hmm. But when do you look back and appreciate that moment? Because obviously when you're here, you're playing with loads of pressure. It's totally different. Did you recognise that straight away when you went to Everton, which is obviously still a club with lots of pressure, but it's not the same as Manchester United, is it? No, I realised that. So I think I signed on the Thursday. David Moyes wanted it done before 12 on the Friday so I could play on the Saturday. So I obviously got it done on the Thursday, trained Friday. We played Villa away on the Saturday. We were, I think we were 1-0 down, 1-0 up. They equalised late on, drew one each. Back in the dressing room, the atmosphere was actually all right. I was thinking, it's a bit strange, this. So then we get on the coach and the music gets stuck on full blast. And I was like, wow, it's different, this. Because mm-hmm. obviously being here, if you draw, like, drew a game or lost a game, nobody speaks. no one talks, bus is silent, got on, music was blasting. I was like, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, but going back there, it's like the pressure here is, yeah. is unbelievable. And I'm not saying Everton were happy drawn or anything like that. We weren't, but it's just a dip- the expectations as well. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever have moments where it, like because obviously you went to Sunderland and Wigan and Salford, but are there any moments where you're training here and your approach to the game here that you've learnt like if there's a draw and it's not something to be happy about? Did you ever get moments of maybe being annoyed with things that had happened or with the way a club handled things because it didn't meet the expectations that have been drilled into you? No, I just think the way things were here stuck with me through my career when I left here. Obviously, the the expectation to win. I always wanted to win. I was always upset if we lost. But you can't expect everyone else at a different club to be the same way. So I just made sure I looked after mm. what I'd done properly. And obviously, you had Phil Neville there. You had players who had played for United. So they're taking their expectations into the team. Tom Cleverly, when did he come? Yeah, uh, he might have been three years after I signed. So you I had think. a little... United. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. The, the expectations players. weren't low at Everton. Of course, no. they were high. The standards were still high, yeah. but just comparing it to, to here, it's this is different. Yeah. It's like Maisie when you were here and then you left and you were having blue WKDs in the back of the bus. I wasn't. Cherry was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is a strange thing. I remember our first, first away game. It was back on the bus, local chippy and a load of cans. And I'm thinking, wow, this is like... It's got big 7-0. Yeah, yeah, just been stuffed and I'm thinking, this ain't right. And then, But then you speak to the manager and he's just like, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. And you're like, it's not fine. We've just been stuffed. And now we're eating chippy on the, on the back of a bus, <laughs> having beers and chaddies on the back of the bus with his blue wickets that he's previously bought. It's like, wow. You've got stuffed twice. Yeah. <laughs> 
What uh, comparisons did you see with David Moyes and Sir Alex Ferguson? Obviously, David Moyes now at West Ham is absolutely flying. Did you see all the qualities in him? Seen different qualities. There were the man management was very much the same. You might be able to back me up here. The gaffer let Mick Phelan and yeah. Rennie Mullins see maybe Carlos Queiroz mm-hmm. do all the coaching, yes. all the coaching yeah, side yeah. of the stuff. Yeah. But uh, Moyes, he was completely different. He literally was hands on, done mm-hmm. absolutely everything. Even that's an odd change I remembered straight away. Moisey was having or have us out on a Friday afternoon for forty five minutes an hour doing set pieces before a game. Whereas here, yeah, it'd be like right. <laughs> There's the set pieces, deal with. Yeah. That was it. But uh, so yeah, man management wise it was he was pretty similar, but everything else was completely different. Yeah. You know, when you look at it for both of you, when you were here, you were coached, yes. Mm-hmm. But you were taught to kind of think for yourself, work things out for yourself. Would you agree with that? Uh to a certain extent, yeah. Like Sir Alex wasn't there throwing out tactics. To be truthful, the gaff was probably one of the worst so you know when you used to go training with the gaffer and whether Kiddo was there or Steve McLaren wasn't there or, or Rene wasn't there the gaffer would put on training and it'd, it'd be funny because he'd, he'd try and join in as well yeah. and obviously that time he was probably about 65 when I was there and he would try joining as a centre forward being the old rough and tumble he used to be but it was fun when the gaffer used to train it was but He's just better off just staying on the side. And if he saw anything, then he just... Yeah, that even. just jib in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you were taught here to learn for yourself almost, weren't you? As you say, you went to Everton. David Moyes is very much hands-on, telling you probably what to do. But it wasn't like that here. And do you think that made you all as players at Manchester you know United I, and the Academy? I think the reason... I might be wrong here, but the reason I think it was like that here is because the standards were so high within the dressing room. The players expected it off each other, if you know what I mean. Mm. Whereas we David Moyes at Everton, I'm not saying the players didn't expect high standards. I'm not contradicting myself, but if set pieces were put up here, the players just expect that's your job, do mm-hmm. it. And, and the gaffer expected that as well. Yeah. There's your job, go and do it. Whereas because he's not got such a high standard of players, then maybe David Moyes felt like he needed to coach it a bit more. Yeah, or yeah. Maybe yeah. it was just a different way of managing. Mm, I don't yeah. know, but I th- just think as a group of players in this dressing room, they just expected a hell of a lot of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they were so successful. We started this and you told us um, that now you are retired. Yeah. Having talked through it all, how do you feel when you look back at your career? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with it, to be honest with you. I've got some things a lot of players don't have. To be honest with you, I've got a Premier League medal, got two League Cup medals. And looking back now, I, I had a lot of injuries through me for throughout my career. And I've had a few low points in my career. But looking back through it all, I'm, I'm happy enough. I've got good stories I can tell the kids <laughs> when they ask me about it. And I've achieved quite a lot as a footballer. So I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. happy with it, yeah. Is there things that you would maybe do differently in your career at any points of your career? Uh, not crash a car drunk probably <laughs> Be yeah there was some highs uh, and lows at Sunderland yeah. wasn't there yeah look I enjoyed my time at Sunderland but obviously I, I hold my hands up I made a mistake there and it, it was a big mistake and uh, believe me I've paid for it in more than one way and I do regret doing it uh, 
but it is one of my biggest regrets because I think my career would have went a different path had I not had the accident. Uh, I think I would have ended up playing at a higher level for longer. Mm-hmm. So that would probably be my biggest regret, really. Do you think that's something that changed you as a person? Yeah, massively. Uh, I had the look at myself massively after that. Uh, it was a tough time for me and my family. So it massively changed me as a person. Mm-hmm. I had to look at myself and sort of think, I can't just think about myself anymore. I need to think about my family as well because of what came after that. Which is fair enough, the, the abuse and that that I got after from some of the fans and the criticism I deserved because it was something I should have done. But it's one of them things I, I had to deal with, but it did change me massively for the for the better, yeah, I think. in the long run. Yeah. And, uh, Did you find that quite a lonely time in your life? Yeah, because I moved up there on my own. So Daniel yeah. and the kid, the kids were in good schools here and we didn't really want to take them out. Uh, so I went up there on my own and I was in a, a bad place mentally, to be totally honest with you. Uh, and looking back now, that's why things went the way they went. But... If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be the person I am now. So in a way, I'm glad it happened because I needed to seriously have a look at myself. Mm-hmm. Do you think maybe that people don't see the side of football? You're saying you're moving up to Sunderland on your own. You're away from your family. It's a big, big change in your life. And sometimes maybe people from the outside don't see. They just think, oh, he's moved to Sunderland. It's a couple of hours up the road. But the reality of that every day of your life, you're going to training for what, two hours, you're coming home, you're spending a lot of time by yourself. And it's difficult for people to understand what that must be like. Yeah, it's, I don't think fans actually realise the life of a footballer, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. It's not as glamorous as it looks from the outside, if I can put it that way. People think, oh, you've got loads of money, you can do what you want, and but it's it's not like that. You can obviously you can go out and buy nice stuff, and but it's very it's it's hard work. It's not easy being a football player, mm-hmm. and especially nowadays, you've got so much like with the social media and all that stuff. You can't do anything anymore. So the social media stuff came at the back end of my career, which I was probably lucky. But it, it's a lot harder than actually fans think it is. Uh, the routine you're in, obviously you're getting, you, basically from the age of 15, the last year when I retired, I was told what to do mm-hmm. every day for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's difficult. And I can see why fans are the way they are now, but it, it's not as easy or as glamorous as they mm-hmm. they would think. Well, I'm glad what you went through, as you say, made you a better person in the long run. Everything happens for a reason. Some yeah. people believe that, don't they? And do you reflect on that time at all? Or is that something you just want to block from your memory that that happened? Or are you happy to face what happened? No, no, I'll face up to what happened. Uh, like I said, I take full responsibility. It was my fault. I shouldn't have done it. 
Uh, but the circumstances that led up there mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. stuff I dealt with afterwards. Uh, Do you think the build-up is because of the pressures you're under all the time? And obviously you mentioned about mental health and stuff. People don't realise, as you, as you just touched on it there, how lonesome it is driving up there, driving back, the mental strain on you as well. And you've admitted that it was wrong what you did and everybody will, will agree with that, but it just becomes a release to do what you did. I think that is what exactly what it was. Basically, I was... So I'd ruptured my groin. I'd had the operation. Yeah. I'd done... 11 weeks of rehab. Uh, I was due back the week after. I was due to go home, back to Manchester the next day. And for some reason, mm. it just went. So I think it sometimes it can be a lonely, lonely place. Mm. And it's a, a tough place. And mm. I think the mental health thing, I'm not... It is a, it's a big thing. I think footballers need to look at their mental health and I think they should be be helped with. But uh, it can be a lonely, yeah. lonely place at times. Mm-hmm. You did go on though and after your time at Sunderland you played for Salford, which were really nice to Wigan pick as up well. with. Wigan as well. Yeah. I was just going to bring in Gary Neville there. Gaz. <laughs> 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 to be honest with you, we didn't, we didn't see much of Gaz when I was at Salford. I bumped into him a few times like, but... Did you enjoy your time there, though? I think I had about six months off before I signed for Salford. So I was at the point where I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I was still keeping myself fit. Mm. And then they asked me to come in and train just to see what I, I thought of it. And I'm going to say this, you can edit it out if you want. The training ground, that was shocking. So when I first went in, I was yeah. like, oh, my God. When you're taking your kit home to wash yourself. Yeah, I didn't mind that, but it was just a... The pitch we were training on was horrendous. Yeah. So for the first, honestly, f- the first six weeks, I was lo- looking at myself thinking, am I actually really bad at football? Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't realise how easy it is to play on that pitch. Yeah. yeah. It's like not, a carpet. Not a bubble. <laughs> not a bubble. <laughs> you get down there, you're in like two inches of mud, no grass on the pitch. The ball doesn't roll. And when it does roll, it's bobbling up at your knees. I was thinking, these must think I'm sh- this football. <laughs> Honestly, but the games were good though. The games were different. Oh. Yeah. Still competitive, but it was different. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. It got me back playing again. Mm-hmm. And then obviously... The leg break. The leg break obviously wasn't a, a great thing, Like, but it is what it mm-hmm. is. Well, I think probably we've done everything. Yeah. And thank you so much for being so honest and for talking to us. No problem. Cheers, thank Gable. you. And that is our chat with Darren Gibson, an incredibly honest end that we really appreciate. But we should go right back to the very beginning because the huge news is Darren Gibson has just confirmed to us that he has now retired from the game, which is massive. Exclusive. Yeah. Maisie, how did you feel listening to that? Because you obviously got to a point in your career when you retired, but that was on your terms, right? Can you imagine being forced into it? Uh, yeah. And I suppose obviously being having to finish your career with an injury, it's... It's not exactly how you wanted to end it, but I'm sure looking back over his career, he'll be um, happy the way, you know, the medals he's won, the places where he's played. I think he'd be, he'd be happy with that. 
I tell you what was a good line when he said that Sir Bobby came into the changing room and just said to him, people don't remember the ones you miss. Absolutely. I'm sure Sir Bobby over the years used to say, uh, even then, when he played, see the whites of the goals and just smash it. And as Gibbo used to say, you know, aim for the crossbar. And you, you look at some of the goals he scored. We've just been looking. Sam's been going through the archives of some of the goals and they're absolute incredible strikes. Incredible. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I enjoyed that. It was good. Very honest. Very it, honest. I thought he spoke really well. Yeah. Obviously didn't quite really make it full-time at United, but yeah, still went on to have a, success, a real successful career. So yeah. Like so many players in our academy do. Exactly. Exactly that. And I think it's interesting when he says, I mean, we say it all the time about him, that when he left the club, his first game was against Aston Villa. And if United had gone to Villa and there'd been music on the bus, the manager would have gone absolutely mental. I literally love hearing those stories. I yeah. just love them. Yeah. But like my fear, yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, that was our chat with Janet, Darren Gibson. Janet, 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 Janet Jackson. That was, was it? Janet Jackson. Jackson. Ow! Shoo, shoo. Do that again. I don't think so. <laughs> Keep that what, in task. What? <laughs> Guys, can you stop laughing, please? We're trying to. And that was our podcast with Darren Gibson. We hope you enjoyed that one as much as we did. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. It's unitedpodcast at manunited.co.uk. And if you want your Helen Evans shoot ringtone, that is the place to message and Tasker will make it for you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Shoot.